0: This is a podcast from 3RR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio.
1: Radio Marinara is brought to you by Deakin University's School of Life and Environmental Sciences. Triple R sponsors. The real story of
2: the ocean depths begins where you left off.
3: Wonders that defy my powers of description.
0: The secrets that are mine alone. That it takes for you to see.
3: Two minutes past nine. You are tuned to 102.7 triple R. Time for this week's edition of Radio Marinara. My name is Bron Burton, and I'm Doctor Surf. How are you, Doctor Surf? I'm
0: reading the paper.
3: Oh, you are. <laughs> you got to talk. That's why you're here.
0: I was. I'm just reading the interesting bits, like the extended surf.
3: All right. Yes, we'll get onto that in a minute. <laughs> hey, thank you, Tim, very much for uh, his wonderful vital bits. I've missed vital bits. I've missed triple R the last few weeks. I've been up in. New South Wales on the south coast with um, very limited internet connections. So I couldn't even stream, and uh, makes you fully appreciate the how wonderful this station is when you come home.
0: Did you have to read a book?
3: I did. <laughs> I finished the book that you lent me four oh. years ago. I meant to tell you that. I can give it back to you.
0: That's all right. I got another copy. <laughs> yeah, I know.
3: You gave up. Sorry. I
0: gave up waiting. <laughs> Sorry about That's that. It's all right. It was an op shop two dollars special. <laughs> so didn't break the bank. <laughs>
3: Oh, anyway, thank you very much, Tim. Uh, his, his enormous uh, group of guests, too. You had them all lined up today. Yeah. Mm.
0: I was the sole audience. I don't think I made enough noise, did but you, they were great. Did you applaud? I did, but I was getting a coffee, so I was several rooms away and no one heard
3: anything. Oh, I was going to say, coffee, good coffee went everywhere. Mm. Hey, today's show, we're going to be playing an interview that we did. I, it was back in July, Dr. Yeah, Surf. Can that's you, right. With Bill Finnegan.
0: William Finnegan, Pulitzer Prize winner, for the book Barbarian Days. And we had a wonderful chat. We did. So I'm looking forward to hearing it again.
3: Yeah, it was interesting. Um, I did a fair bit of editing yesterday, and I'd actually forgotten what we'd spoken about. Completely forgotten. Mm. So great to hear it. And for those of
0: you who don't know, Bill Finnegan, William Finnegan, is a prize-winning journalist for The New Yorker. Yorker. Mm -hmm. And a surfer, and he's written a book called Barbarian Days, which is an autobiography mainly of his surfing life and it is a magnificent read and it won the Pulitzer Prize mm. for autobiography or biography. And it's very rare for an autobiography to win a Pulitzer. Yes. So it's a very high honour.
3: It's a great read. Mm. It's a really interesting um, uh, It's a set of observations of a various different points in time too.
0: Mm. Yeah. Mm. Written by a man who really knows how to write.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's going to make up the majority of the show and we'll have a surf report in there somewhere and then uh, at the end of the show, Rex Hunter is coming in I actually have no idea what Rex is going to talk about uh, I actually I caught up with him um, about half an hour ago uh, and I said, you know what, let's leave it as a surprise so uh, he's going to come in and talk about something to do with maritime archaeology we've got a minute and a half because it's going to be a very jam-packed show uh, Dr Surf, uh, would you care to do the weather report?
0: The weather is very windy today Uh, Officially, it's partly cloudy, slight chance of a shower during the morning, clearing by the afternoon, then a very high chance of showers in the late afternoon and evening. Winds north increasing to 60 kilometres an hour, locally 70 kilometres an hour. Minimum of 10, top 24. And tomorrow, the wind's going to swing west-northwest, yay, 25 to 40 kilometres an hour, Uh, with a top temperature of 17, and then we're back to winter again. Thank you, Jesus. 15, (laughs) 15, 15, and with winds from the west quarter. So, the wonderful run, the magnificent winter, the epic season has not finished yet.
3: Wow. Great.
0: Yep. So, all of you surfers, and I actually nearly sent you a picture on Thursday Bron because mm. I'm on leave at the moment of a car park down up my way that was full on a Thursday at one o'clock and the caption was three cheers for the Aussie work epic
3: <laughs> was it Utes were there a lot of utes? oh man
0: that was everything there's a reference a really good swell on Thursday but not a lot of work was being done
3: there's a reference to Utes in the um, in the interview we're about to hear it's a little yes. little um, observation that you make and
0: a sad comment on Friday the last Ford roll
3: offs
0: and if if anyone goes to a popular surf spot all you'll see really is Ford station wagons on gas so uh, we're we're in a dilemma what are we going to buy now thanks to all you people that bought Hyundai's like me
3: (laughs) (laughs) Hey are we going to do a weather report
0: We just did Brian
3: what well, was just today. We're going to do the extended...
0: why yeah, well, I Oh, you kind of did. You <laughs> still have holidays. I
3: kind of am. Why don't we <laughs> do leave Do you want to the... read
0: a book while I do the show, Brian?
3: to <laughs> <laughs> the um, We we'll can do it. Surf, surf report. We've kind of just done that I'll too. I'll do a
0: quick surf report. It's quite small today. It's very windy. You'd have to go east of Melbourne to... Um, the Mornington Peninsula or the uh, Phillip Island beach breaks, but it's very windy. The swells may be four to six foot on the beach breaks, very strong northerly. You'll have to find a protected spot. But it's going to kick up tomorrow
3: again. A couple of very quick news items, and then we're going to hear a track. Um, one to put in the calendar from next week. This is a Life Search twenty sixteen, which runs from next Saturday, fifteenth of October, through to Sunday, the twenty third. And it's being put on by the Mornington Peninsula, um, sorry, the Port beg your pardon, Western Port Biosphere. And if you're interested in getting involved in a really great piece of citizen science, you should uh, get in touch with these guys, Life Search. 2016. So, Live Search is an annual Western Port Biosphere event. It's open to anyone who lives or works in the Biosphere Reserve, which is pretty much all of Western Port and a little bit of um, the Mornington Peninsula as well. Uh, You can make observations at reserves, local parks, beaches, school grounds. It's a really good one to get the kids in. And all of the data uh, gets uploaded to the Atlas of Living Australia database. So, if you want to get involved, our uh, best person to contact is Karen Spray. Uh, her number is five nine seven nine. Two one six seven. Um, that's only on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Or you can check out their website, which is biosphere.org.au, and then you can follow some links through to Life Search. So good one to put in the calendar. Uh, another quick mention: thanks to Cass Philippou, uh our former maritime archaeologist here on Radio Marinara sent through a link this morning. Interesting research being done in Tasmania. They reckon they finally cracked that it's the Holy Grail of uh, lobster or crayfish, uh, aquaculture. I reckon they're finally going to be able to um, actually grow them from uh, very, very juvenile stage Mm. in the lab.
0: So we'll have farms.
3: Well, I don't know if that's such a good thing either.
0: Herding lobsters.
3: Yeah. So stay tuned for more information, but they're, uh, they're very happy about um, some developments in that area. Happy Over the last few the decades, peak. some great fictional written and film works have been made to capture what it means to be a surfer. Tim Winton's Breath in 2008 and Albie Foulson's Morning of the Earth from 1971 each gain nods from surfers around the world at doing a good job at capturing the essence of the wave-driven life. Our next guest has gone one step further in presenting real life as a surfer by documenting his own life in a memoir of his time spent travelling the world, hunting for great surf throughout the South Pacific, Asia, Africa, here in Australia and more. Bill Finnegan is a well-known investigative journalist for The New Yorker, also a lifelong surfer. He joins Dr Surf and me now to talk about his Pulitzer Prize-winning autobiography, A Barbarian Life, and how he manages his double life of surfer and normal person, whatever that is. Good morning, Bill. Good morning. Welcome to uh, RRR and to Radio Maranara.
2: Ah, just delighted to be here. That's
3: great to have you here. Um, first up, congratulations on the award. Ah, thanks. Mm. Is that something you were expecting, or did it come as a Not bit of a surprise?
2: All. No. In fact, they don't give Pulitzers for memoirs very often at all, so not at all.
3: Now, Dr. Surf and I have come to your book from completely different angles. Mm. Me as someone who lives for the beach and the sea, mm. spent my life around it, but never managed to master surfing. Dr. Surf is someone who's had, I think, a similar life experience to you from what mm. I've read. Have you found that your book's been received differently based on life experience of the reader?
2: Yes, completely. It's very much written for the general reader, not for surfers. But it's almost like um, readers who surf are easy. I mean, they're we're interested in the same things. We speak the same language. The the harder work was to get across this world and this language uh, to people who wouldn't understand it so easily. Mm. And and actually, the book's been very differently received in Australia from from the U.S. That is, readers I hear from or reviews in Australia often I'll see my book placed in the context of a whole shelf of other books. You know, we've got all these books on surfing and surfers and and now this one, which is different, and people aren't so familiar with surfing in the U.S., and, and, and there isn't that shelf of books. In effect, the, the basic take being finally a book for the rest of us. You know, we've read all these sort of celebrity biographies and books about, you know, famous surfers, and now here's this thing just about some ordinary guy who spent his 20s under a palm tree looking for waves, just like all of us who spent our 20s under yeah. a palm tree looking for waves, and you'd never, I'd never got anything remotely like that in the U.S., um, where reviewers tended to, more sort of hold it at arm's length and say you know what is this unserious thing surfing which this guy seems to be so serious about
0: i think yeah i'd I, like to discuss that with you because surfing in america and i spent a lot of time there in australia are quite different I'll, I'll come up with a comment by sean doherty who's a wonderful journalist he's he now describes surfing as beyond mainstream whereas the time you're writing about in your book the early days there seems to be a recurrent theme through the book of that's gone now the paradise lost would you agree with that?
2: Yes and no. I grew up in the '60s and '70s surfing and write about these places that were iconic even then—Malibu, Rincon, Honolulu Bay, and on Maui, places I grew up surfing. And they were horribly crowded then. And people assume, oh, you lived at Honolulu in 1971, must have been paradise. Not at all. It was—I mm. mean, the wave was magnificent, still is, but but the crowds were terrible and still are. So there were a few places I lucked into, kind of early in their great surf spots before they were well known so those have that that quality of paradise lost it's true but there are plenty more spots out beyond the fringes of what's known or places that people have kept quiet about and and we very much wish that some of the people we found ways with would have kept quiet about them Mm,
0: I, i think i'd agree with that and there are spots still there you just have to look a little bit harder maybe travel a little bit further but this concept that, oh, everything ended in, I don't know, when pro-surfing started and, and it's now a completely different animal, I don't know if I agree with that at all. What,
2: what are your views on that? Well, there has been a huge shift, I think, toward this mainstreaming, less dramatic maybe here in Australia than, than some other places. I mean, I was really struck. I first came to Australia in 1978 while I was chasing waves through the South Pacific and ended up on the gold coast for a while and i couldn't believe how mainstream surfing was here then that is all these clubs and competitions and and you know signs surfing beach with an arrow Mm. i couldn't believe it i mean i'd grown up in a place where nobody was going to help you and and the beach towns and and the beach town cops hated you surfers were kind of juvenile delinquents or seen that way and that's Um, where
3: the title for the book comes from partly yes yeah
2: yes that's a sort of metaphor running running through the book the mm. sort of citizenship versus uh, barbarians which i which sort of pulls on me both ways on the one hand i've spent all these years chasing waves and and very much um sort of outside social structures and then at the same time have a real um desire to be a responsible citizen and and there's that kind of tension you know between being responsible and and running away from Responsibility, which for me is surfing.
3: So. It's interesting how there's this perception that there needs to be a choice and that they need, to, in some sense, that they're mutually exclusive, but it's, it's not the case, is it? And you can attest to that too, Dr. If You've managed to make them both work together.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, the reason why, I, I, and, and this is one of the things I really got out of the book, was, mm. was for me, it's an addiction. And now that I'm at the age that I am, I'm approaching 60, I've spent 48 years chasing waves. My body's wrecked and I can see also the other side of it where it's taken me away from my loved ones and my kids at certain <laughs> times, and so there's often a perception out there, and I'd really enjoy getting your comment on that, that, that surfing's this golden thing, and it keeps you strong and healthy, but like any obsession, there's a
2: flip side. I certainly agree, and and there's a chapter in this book about living in San Francisco, surfing Ocean Beach, um, which was a really intense, kind of all engrossing place to to live and surf. And I was with this guy, Mark Renneker, who's a physician and a big wave surfer and really obsessive and, and a kind of evangelist of surfing. It's good for you in every way, which I agree with you. It is not good for you in every way. It can be destructive of your body, your relationships, your per- Professional life and plenty of other things. If if you can't keep that, I would agree with the addiction metaphor. If you can't keep it under control, and and so I I sort of oppose him in the book to this other guy who was who was like the best surfer in San Francisco at the time. His nickname was Pee Wee. He was just a beautiful surfer who was very wary. As beautifully as he surfed, and as much as he surfed obviously he was very wary of it he ended up saying to me you know surfing's dangerous the biggest locals are the biggest derelicts you go for it hard enough you end up you know with nothing that's true and that that brings me on to big surfing big waves which um there's quite a
0: fair few sections in the book about that we had the privilege a few years ago having tim winton on on the show who's written a book about big waves and he says in this book that being afraid proves you're alive And I know in my experience with big waves, I was always afraid, Mm. but I did it anyway. Mm. How did you cope with with the big waves? Were you afraid? Did you have to overcome that fear? Oh,
2: yeah, yeah. And and I've actually gotten more interested in in bigger waves um, since I've got older. Like in, in middle age, I finally got a proper gun. And, and so it's so like you're prepared when it's big. And, and uh, I started surfing in Madeira after after San Francisco, which was a kind of baptism by fire and bigger waves for me. Um, I moved to New York and then started going to the Portuguese island of Madeira, which is out in the middle of the Atlantic. No continental shelf. gets gigantic surf and really uncharted. So we were sort of pioneering these spots and had some hairy experiences. But it was almost like, well, in the like sad arc of one's surfing career where you sort of improve improve, peak, and then just spend, you know, decades getting worse, you know, turning into a kook again. Um, I was somewhere on that arc. I was probably in my 40s by the time I started going to Madeira. And bigger waves are much easier to surf. I mean, if you have the experience, you you sort of know where to be and what to do. It's just a matter of, you know, being in that spot, getting to your feet. It's very basic surfing as opposed to what you need to do in small, quick waves, which, you know, requires a sort of fast-twitch muscles that one loses with age and And that was part of why I started getting into bigger ways, but the the fear aspect, yeah, is enlivening, and then when it gets worse and it it feels you know really perilous, and you find your life passing before your eyes and think of your kids and what have i done and and so I went through a number of those moments, particularly in Madeira and Hawaii too where I th- had to determine to reform. And, and it was the same in my work as a journalist, really. I used to do a lot of war reporting and then became a father and and, and had to actually cut back and realise, you know, my responsibilities now are such that I, I can't take these kind of risks anymore. And I've sort of done the same thing with bigger waves. Do you think the experience you had conquering
0: your fear in big waves has helped you in your journalistic career in, in the war zones? Mm.
2: They're analogous broadly, but I don't know about you, but, like, I've surfed bigger... I wouldn't say big waves because that's, like, there's big waves, yeah, 20 foot plus. That's, like, another mm. category of person. I'm not that person. But waves that really, really push my limit, you know, as, as big as I could handle and you know, board snapping, you know, two-wave hold-down type waves. I don't... Go out into those waves for. I mean, the fear is like an unfortunate side product. What I'm looking for is, is the waves to ride and, and to, you know, that experience of drenching beauty is that much more intense in a bigger, more powerful wave when you make it. So it's, that's the point. Not the fear is like. Hmm. Uh, and it's the same with conflict reporting that the the, like terror and when you know bullets are flying sort of thing um is really not the point simple think, oh you're an adrenaline junkie that's why you do that no 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 i'm this it's an an important story Mm. and this is like unfortunate aspect of of chasing that story um is the terror is really not the point you're in
0: an environment that's so extreme in Mm. big ways and I always think that 99% of the po- human population would probably die in these situations. Mm. But we're out there and we're reasonably comfortable with it. And it's it's that part of that the great lure of surfing is it puts you in these natural environments that sometimes are so extreme, mm. you just think, I would never be here if I wasn't addicted to this thing. And what a gift it is that I'm here with my friends, mm. seeing these incredible
2: mountains of water come to Yeah, you use them. that word, seeing. Um, for me, often... The most memorable part of of a session, say in big waves, will be what I saw. You know, I managed to see. Um, okay, there were the waves I made, and you know, the drops I barely made, and then the horrible moments when I got caught inside. There's all that sort of drama. But the thing that stays with me more is I was out there. I had a some of the biggest waves I surfed. I was surf Makaha uh, in Hawaii i don 't know maybe two three winters ago i um, just giant and you couldn 't see it from the beach. It was a bit rainy and, and it was just too much surf in between the beach and the and, and the the bowl and kaha bowl and and I, but I went out unfortunately on a shortboard, so I was really under It was crazy. But I just saw these moments you know guys dropping in to these older Hawaiian guys, mostly on giant guns and these incredible dark, dark waves that would turn kind of cobalt blue in the ceiling as they, as they broke and just to get to see it is that sense of privilege and, and humbling and, and that's almost more the point than any wave I might have caught I couldn't agree more, it's, it's the
0: paddling over the shoulders and watching your friends take waves mm. that's what, mm. what I remember and, and being able to experience that later with them, that's that mm. bond
3: mm.
0: I saw you catch that wave Yes, you were out there with me we we'll yes. always have that
3: Yep. It's interesting that you've got five sensors operating all at the same time and you're in that extreme environment, but it's the sight that seems to kick in. Mm. We have other extreme sports it might not be. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking immediately of skydiving, and I've only done it once. Mm. I don't remember a single thing about what I saw. What I remember was the sound was just the most extreme roar that I've ever felt You know, mm. going, going out of the plane. I don't actually remember anything about what I saw, mm. only from the video footage. But it's interesting that it's sight and it seems to have resonated with both of you sound is a funny one. I'd be interested in
0: hearing your view on this. You catch a barrel and I can't remember hearing anything. I can remember seeing the lip come over. I can remember seeing my friends looking, but it's almost totally silent. And going to what Bron was saying, it's all visual. Everything's concentrated on your eyes. Do you hear anything when you're in a
2: a big barrel or is it all sight? I think it's the same with me. I'm intensely aware of the noise that a powerful wave or big wave makes when i'm paddling over them or hearing them from the back you're sort of gauging the power by how deep and unnerving the explosion is oh my god that sounded like a train wreck mm-hmm. you know I, I don't want to be anywhere near that that sort of thing whereas when you're when i'm riding, yeah i'm usually completely unaware of the sound because the, you don't get a lot of cues about what to do from what you're hearing uh maybe a cracking behind you or something, but but you're always thinking about what the wave is going to do ahead of you, and it's not making any noise. It's silently preparing to break, <laughs> so it's 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 much more visual. And, and yeah, and I really relate to that that feeling. I remember
0: sitting out the back, a set had come through, and you'd feel this thud, mm. and it'd go through the water mm. while you're while you're paddling to get over a bigger one, and you yeah. think, oh, <laughs> it's big today. Yeah.
3: I wanted to ask about that obsession that you were just talking about. We mentioned earlier Albie Foulsen and Tim Winton, who've both captured it in a fictional sense. Can you think of another example of where uh, a recreation or a sport has that kind of power to set or change the course of someone's life? I'm sure they're out there, but there's something particularly unique about surfing. Is it that connection with the natural environment that that makes it quite unique?
2: That's a lot of it. Yeah, you're, you're sort of deeply involved with this infinite problem that is way every surf break is its own problem presented for you to solve. You know, figure out how this place works, figure it out, read this wave correctly and know what to do. And if you travel for waves, you're, you're encountering new places all the time and going further and further from – um, the sort of beaten path to try to find ways nobody else has, and then you have to like, figure them out in a hurry. Um, and there's often a, a real consequence. If you don't, you can get hurt. I'm sure there are rock climbing. I'm sure there are other sports, you know, whitewater rafting, I don't know, that take you out deep into nature and, and deep into this sort of high-stakes problem-solving also. But, but surfing is the one I know, and, and it does take you so far. I mean, camping and, and, and the back of beyond trying to solve this intense natural environment and, and understand it. it i don't know any other i, I have no experience without other sport yeah that's the problem bron because you're talking to two guys that have only done one thing <laughs> <laughs>
0: We don't have time to do anything else. There's,
3: there's that ability to integrate it into life, though, which I think is what sets it apart. There's this really nice passage, which is from a chapter where you're talking about your experiences in Australia. It's about when you, um, you're you talking about cactus, which is a reef uh-huh. in South Australia. South Australia. Yeah. It says, cactus didn't tempt me as a place to live, but it reminded me of other surf exile scenes I'd run across in Hawaii and Oregon, Big Sur? Big Sur, yeah. Big Sur, and rural southwest Victoria. People came for the waves and stayed. They learned the place. They found waves to survive some became over time members in good standing of the local community and others stayed on the margins but it's that ability to integrate that into daily life that i think maybe doesn't exist for other outdoor type passions like as you mentioned rock climbing
2: yeah quite possibly Mm. there are rock climbing bums and ski bums and sail bums Mm. and i think there are actually places i've my daughter rock climbs and and we've been in the american west you know the great deserts and the mountains and so on and come across these little communities and i thought ah this is so familiar and she will immediately light up she'll see these older kids she's 14 R- climbers climbers i can yeah. tell look at their hands you know yeah and 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 they're living out in the middle of nowhere in utah because of the rocks that are near there you can
0: do it uh, integrate the two and i think the class at least in australia that have done it the best of what we call the tradies and they're the builders, the carpenters, the electricians. And and, and it's a, a local joke that you'll know where the surfs could when the utes are there,
2: the pickup <laughs> trucks,
0: because that's what they know. And they are their own bosses and they work around. And and so there certainly is. But the guys that really interest me are the guys such as yourself and Mark Renica who are professionals – in careers that require a lot of time, a lot of dedication, and yet you can still dedicate yourself to surfing. Let's take Mark for an ex- for example. How does
2: he do it? He, he I, has the a reason- very flexible schedule. Yeah. I mean, I studied closely. How does he manage to be in the water for every good yeah. session? It seems like, and he had he worked at various. Clinics and hospitals. He had uh, a lot of different projects going. Patients all over. He started his own kind of business helping people, and he was a cancer education specialist. and And so, people with you know dire. Um, medical prognoses, he would take up their cases, but he'd worked at night, he worked around the tides, I never schedule an appointment for a dropping tide, he he was full of that kind of, um, you know, nostrum that that guided his scheduling And, and he had places, it was San Francisco where you know, in between this appointment and that appointment, I will be high on this road and I'll be able to see what the waves are doing. And if it's changing, I'll be able to change that appointment. I mean, he was just juggling like mad. (laughs) And how about yourself? How do you do it? Do you, do you have blocks of time where you can't surf or? Oh yeah. Um, I mean, I'm off reporting a story in, you know, the Balkans. I, I definitely not gonna be able to surf, but day to day life in New York is also a lot of frantic juggling. You know, we've, the winter is when the waves are best, and and the days are short and cold, and, and you have to really sort of plan ahead. The windows of good waves are small, so I'm constantly you know deserting my post and telling editors I need I need to go think, you know, and and uh, don't worry I'll, I'll make that deadline, and then working all night to make up for a day in the surf. You can we'll get, to we'll we'll go, to yeah, I certainly
0: can. But we were both interested in what surfing is like in New York. Mm. I spent a little bit of time in New York, but it was in summer, and it's not what you call a surf town. No, it's terrible. So, where would you go to surf,
2: and what time of year is, is the best around New York? Yeah. Uh, well, it starts in the fall, um, our fall, which is coming up with hurricane swells. Those you can sort of predict and see mm-hmm. coming. Everybody waits for them, and the water's still warm. But the main season is winter, these storms called nor'easters that that blow by and and haul offshore winds depending on – from Manhattan to the south is New Jersey and a west wind is offshore there. And to the east um, from Manhattan, it's sort of a a dog leg in the coast there, is the south shore of Long Island, which um, takes a south swell and and a north wind. So depending on the winds – it it can get into a great rhythm, you know, sort of every week, good waves through the winter, the you know, the storm pattern as such. And more lefts along Long Island just just because of the orientation and, and rights on the Jersey Shore. And I'm regular foot, so I, I prefer Jersey Shore on a good day, all other things being equal. And shockingly good. I mean, there's loads and loads of jetties along the Jersey Shore to kind of try to hold the sand in place. So you get these sandbars off the ends of jetties and these south swells marching up that coast with rights peeling down these sandbars and west winds, I found myself out with, you know, a couple of other guys on uh, some freezing winter day, but with just magnificent waves. And you look off to the south and these barreling right walls as far as you can see, and I grew up in Southern California and, and in Hawaii, and you would not find a wave this good, you know, a, a session this good in California anywhere, ever. Yeah. You know, I mean, if it was this good, Anywhere in California, southern California, there would be 100 guys on this, and there are three of us out. White suits have gotten so good, yeah. you know, a good four-three with a hood, of course, yeah. and boots and booties and, and gloves. You basically don't get cold. I mean, a little water flushes in as you're duck diving or, or um, if you're underwater, but it, it heats up very quickly. The water, it will be in just above freezing, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's terribly cold, but you get used to it. mean, I don't like surfing in all that rubber. And, and and yet it's the trade-off for the quality of wave yeah. and, the, and the few people it's worth it. It's similar here. We like
0: to think we're hardcore because we're surfing at the moment in water that's 11 it's Celsius. Celsius. It's
2: just getting changed that annoys yeah. me. Yeah, same, um, especially getting changed out of your wetsuit in the wind if you've got no <laughs> yes. place and, and there's snow on the beach and all that.
3: <laughs> is the concept of endless summer really an endless winter? Because I'm I'm picking up a theme here that winter is what brings the good waves.
2: Yeah, um, it's true. You, that, that movie... Um, Um, Cut a few corners. Um, um, uh, Not really a documentary. Um, I hope people are familiar with it. It was was a very, it sort of warped my career goals and and that of a whole generation uh, of surfers where I come from. The story of two surfers traveling around the world looking for waves. Um, I was probably 10 or 12 when it came out, and I just thought, I have to do that. We all thought that. And I ended up kind of trying to do it. But it's true that what you're mainly chasing is winter. That's when the waves tend to be better. And it also turns out that wasn't a documentary in many senses. They kind of staged the whole scene in South Africa where they find the so-called perfect wave. Robert August and Mike Hinson, two great surfers. But, I mean, they were hired for six weeks for this. I mean, a filmmaker, Bruce Brown, had the idea, and he hired these two pro surfers of the day who went along and did what they were told and surfed, and and that was it. Mm -hmm. And yet we took it as real oh these guys actually they spent their lives not no they didn't yeah. we did i mean i spent nearly four years in one stretch chasing waves around the world like they did in the summer except that was a six-week photo shoot yeah <laughs> it's interesting over here the movie that really
0: affected my generation was morning of the earth we all wanted to live in a tree house and grow our own vegetables and shape our own boards mm mm-hmm but that didn't work out. <laughs> yeah. That,
2: that movie also influenced us a lot.
3: Are you going to get a chance to have a surf while you're in Melbourne? Because um, the climate here is probably a little more similar to New York.
2: I, I, I flew in yesterday from New York, so I was completely jet-lagged, but I found a surf cam immediately, and, and it actually looked good. Um, bell's winky down that side. And I thought, I've got a – i have got I brought a wetsuit, but it's rather thin. I'm hoping to surf up in, in Queensland. Um, and uh, and I thought, I need a thicker wetsuit, I need a board, I need a car, all that stuff immediately. I did not get it together. I fell asleep. <laughs>
3: We'll talk about that later. Um,
2: Just a couple of things
0: to finish up on. There were moments when I read the book when I just laughed out loud because they were just spot on, perfect. And the one that really springs to mind is claiming it. And for those um, listeners who don't know what that means, that means when you catch a good wave or you do a good manoeuvre, you do something that's, you know, like a footballer would raise his fist. Mm -hmm. You know, I did that. The one that, that really struck me, and you nailed this perfectly, was the Australian way of climbing it is to wipe your nose.
2: <laughs> and as soon as I read that, I said, yeah, that's exactly right. I had no idea. <laughs> Where did you get that Actually, a f- observation a f- from? Actually, this guy I surf with in New York um, who's a ballet dancer um, and an excellent surfer, but very, very aware of like, aspects of performance. He pointed out to me, look uh, in a video, watch when the Australian, guy, Australian guys come out of the barrel, every time they'll sort of bow their head and blow their nose. In, as that's they're true. as they're coming out of the barrel, and I thought, no, that's not possible. He says, and the Americans watch them; they'll sort of whip their hair. Um, this is these are guys who are battling not to claim it, not to raise their arms, not to you know, because of course the coolest thing by far is to is to do nothing, just act like you've been there before. And <laughs> but he pointed out this pattern, and we started watching, and sure enough. Guy after guy. Yep, there's the American doing the little hair whip. There's the Australian doing the little wow. nose thing. <laughs> oh, look, it's interesting the
0: difference in um, cultures because claiming it in Australia is okay. Aha. Uh-huh. And um, particularly with your mates.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and I'll often see a guy... You know, catch a really good wave or come out of the barrel, and he'll see his mates and you know, he'll just point at him
2: Yeah, like this, yeah. You see that. <laughs> but that's subtle. You know, the, the
0: little. <laughs> yeah, there, there won't be any. You know, clenched fists and. Yeah, that's swearing. what's that's
2: what's um, but, um, 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 so ugly. I, it is, I'm sure it's not universal this this um, gesture. But this yeah. friend of mine who thinks, ex- what do you look like? What because he makes his living on stage. Here's how you finish. You know, and he's considering how will I do it as I come out of the barrel at Pipeline. Shall I bow my head? Shall I? <laughs> And, and the
0: other interesting thing that I thought was glorious was your description of the Gold Coast when you were there in the late 70s mm-hmm. as the, the workers' paradise populated by smart mouth diggers with no respect for authority. And I remember that period vividly. And you described it as the most democratic place you'd ever been to. Have you been anywhere since that's matched
2: that? No. Um, that first impression, that was of Australia, which was really from... More from jobs I was working than from the water. Um, surfers weren't all that friendly. Local surfers mm-hmm. never happy to see strangers turn up on the Gold Coast. But I worked as a, a barman in a couple of different pubs and rock and roll clubs, and as a, a pot washer in a big restaurant kitchen. And that was where I got this sense of egalitarian Australia. You know, Jack's as good as his master. There's this this um, sort of attitude among among the guys I worked with. You know, the owner of the casino was was no better than them in fact if they saw him they'd curse him you bastard you know it's, it's your shout you rich bastard and <laughs> and he'd be properly abashed i was so impressed but was able to save lots of money and, and push on to indonesia well just one final thing that I'd, I'd like to
0: talk about is that this thing we do this beautiful obsession mm-hmm. do you have any insights as to why we keep doing it until we can virtually no longer walk mm-hmm.
2: i think there is this i'm mean, a sort of gentler aspects of it, the health, the, the being outdoors, the being in the water, and the, the kind of lulling and, and, and gently pleasing parts of it in, in mellow ways. But at least for me, I'm still after that more, that most intense part, which gets harder to find as you get sort of older and weaker and slower, And but that really kind of ineffable, very powerful experience of beauty, either what you see in the water on a, on a good day, on a big day perhaps, or what you actually get if you're really lucky and it all comes together, what what happens on a wave. That experience, I ju- just keep going back to the well, trying to find it. It might go a year or two at a time without getting a great, great wave. But when you get it, you think that this is why I'm still doing this.
0: Thanks very much for your time, Bill. Oh, it's, man, it's been a great pleasure to talk.
3: Yeah, it's been wonderful. And enjoy your surfing while you're here.
2: <laughs> I will. <laughs>
3: <laughs> We've been speaking with Bill Finnegan, author of Barbarian Days, A Surfing Life. You're listening to Radio Marinara here on 3RRR. I think without further ado, we're going to welcome Rex Huntar. Huh? Good morning, Rex. Morning. Morning, Bron. Haven't seen you Talk. since Radiothon.
1: Oh. <laughs> I've been out the about. I've been out the back of New South Wales. Uh, opal mining a very short career of uh, a day.
3: That's a, that's a long way from the...
0: Yeah. <laughs> so I was either very, very successful or not. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I, I still have to work. So.
1: Okay.
3: <laughs> now, I mentioned at the start of the program, we, we actually don't know what you're going to be expecting about a big today. Surprise. We to keep it as a surprise.
1: Yes, I'm not going to tell anybody.
3: <laughs> have you found the treasure that you've been looking for?
1: <laughs> I can't tell you that either.
3: You've been mowing the lawn? I've
1: been mowing the lawn. Oh, we found a very big anchor off uh, Williamstown early on the year, uh, with the side-scan sonar, sonar data we've been collecting, so that was a, a, a nice little find. Huge anchor, like stood sort of 1,500 off the bottom.
3: And this isn't just something, it's not some, something off someone's tinny? It's no, no, it wasn't
1: just somebody's yeah. Recently
3: discarded rubbish or anything like that? No,
1: no, it's, uh, I don't know what, what, what it's doing there. It's, um, it's bare, half, of, half of it was buried, so it could have been an old mooring or, or someone's just lost ship, lost its anchor in the nineteenth um, century. sometime.
3: right? So it's old. Yeah, yes. getting to that point. Type,
1: yeah. Yes.
3: So what have you got today?
1: Well, got, I've got lots of surprises. Um, also, about the Jawbone, a great little spot. Uh, if you want to jump in there, there's a couple of shipwrecks in there you can dive uh, dive on as well. Great, great little site. Water gets pretty clear in summer. Uh, warm snapper come in there. It's, it's, yeah, it's a great.